Morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad that you're with us, and we're going to get into God's Word in just a moment. Um, but first, let's see here. I got a picture to show you. I often have pictures to show you. This one is uh, earlier this year, March 4th this year. And uh, the significance of this picture is this is my family and I loaded up to leave San Diego, California, and head north 1,200 miles to arrive in Dallas, Oregon. So, yeah. <laughs> Following God's clear call, this is Team Olson hitting the Oregon Trail. Um, I didn't put all of our stuff in the travel trailer. Our stuff went in a, in a moving container. We went in the truck and trailer and took uh, six days to go the 1,200 miles and saw some friends and family along the way. Um, overall, a very smooth trip. Uh, some of you perhaps even followed along the journey on Facebook as we made our way north. Uh, but something that did not make the stories that were posted online, something that wasn't as fun and as smooth and as, as joyful as visiting people along the way, uh, there was a rough half a day or so in there that probably didn't go public. And here's what it looked like. We, um, it was the second day, I believe, and we, had, uh, we broke camp and cruised down the road, and it, everything was going fine with the truck and trailer. And then we turned north on Highway 101 in California, and the truck started to behave poorly, or so I thought. Um, it was weird. It was loud. The truck was really loud, getting loud, and it felt sluggish, and it felt like we weren't making as good a progress. It felt like my brakes were on, but my brakes weren't on, or something. I just didn't, I didn't really get it, but it was rough. Um, it, it caused a delay because we got off the road and pulled over and checked everything out, and I'm talking to my brother on the phone, and you know, it obviously caused some frustration because I didn't know if something was wrong, and I'm thinking, we barely got anywhere on this journey. How are we going to get to where we're going? Uh, and, and it even you know, caused some fear. I mean, there's obviously a fear for my family and our safety, and, and in the midst of this move, how are we going to do this? Uh, well, I'm a fairly novice. Uh, I, was a fa I, was, I was and still am fairly novice at pulling a trailer. Uh, we came to figure out that it was headwind, we had turned into the wind. And those of you that pull trailers are laughing at me now. You know, when the wind comes at the side of your vehicle, it's more obvious, right? All of us have been, a lot of us have been driving and helped help the wind at the side of our vehicle, and you kind of can feel it push you, and it, that's a little nerve-wracking, but at least you sort of know that's what it is. Well, when I turned straight into the wind, I, it wasn't as obvious to me. But we were being pushed back. We were being held back. Um, and so uh, that caused a lot of difficulty in that case, and, and some fear and frustration, and, and before I figured it out. Anybody have any experience with headwind? Driving, boating, riding your bicycle, walking down the sidewalk? Anybody experience headwind? All right. Well, uh, once I became convinced that that was all it was, that it wasn't a bigger truck problem with my truck, then the trip continued you know, smoothly and uneventfully. But grab your Bible and open, if you would, to Mark chapter 6. We are in a series of messages called God-Man, where we study the life and ministry of Jesus, the God-Man. And uh, in today's passage, when you turn there in your Bibles to Mark 6, verse 45, we're going to see that Jesus' friends encounter a headwind. And we want to see, how does Jesus, the God-Man, 
respond to his friends being in, in the, stuck in this headwind. Let me pray. Father, we need you to be our teacher this morning. Would you open our hearts and our minds that we might hear from you? And God, as I often do, I pray that we would not just hear, um, but that you, by the power of your Spirit working in our lives this morning, would change us. God, would you make us more like your Son as we uh, experience you, as we study your Word this morning, as we ask you to change us, to make us more and more like Jesus, more and more the people you have made us to be. Teach us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, um, if you were with us last week or if you weren't, we're studying right through the book of Mark in our Bibles. And so last week, uh, there was a story that we're often fairly familiar with, maybe not, maybe so, where Jesus took five loaves and two fish and turned it into what? A lot. Five loaves and two fish became food to feed thousands with leftovers, right? So now we pick up the story in verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he, Jesus, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. The language there is pretty forceful. The language there of Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him. There's a strongly, he's strongly urging them. He is compelling them to get in the boat and head out to the other side, to Bethsaida, continuing on, verse 45, while Jesus stayed behind and dismissed the crowd. And after Jesus had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. I want to interweave, keep your finger there in your Bibles and keep your Bibles open to Mark 6 there, and we're going to continue to look at this passage of Scripture, of God's Word. But I want to weave in a story from uh, my own life, if you don't mind, something that we experienced. Um, and this, this is back uh, several years. Um, I had the opportunity, after being in ministry for a few years, God uh, sent us back to school to get my master's degree and uh, we did that from 2007 to 2009. And as seminary, as my graduate education was winding down, uh, we had been in ministry in different forms before. We were uh, finishing up school, and we were wondering um, what God was going to do with us next. And, um, and so many things began to point us in the same direction, which is a great feeling. Things were just seemed to be coming together, seemed to be lining up as we listened to the Lord on where are we, what are we doing next, where are we headed after seminary. And so I, I would say we felt compelled. We felt strongly urged by Jesus to consider church planting. If you're not the, familiar with the phrase church planting, it just means starting, planting a church. Uh, we have a church that's existed for many, many years. These churches need to remain good and healthy, but for the purposes of Jesus to be advanced, for his glory to be advanced, we need new churches as well. And so churches like ours often can be a part of seeing what God's up to, training leaders, sending off a, a small group of people to start a new church, to plant a new church from scratch. And I, this was just lining up in my heart and mind as I was finishing my education. Uh, I think I felt compelled in a number, for a number of reasons. I think God had given me a passion 
for multiplying leaders, for multiplying followers of Jesus, and therefore for multiplying churches so that there'd be more churches to reach more people for the glory of Jesus. I think that uh, God used some of the classes that I took, including a class that was taught by a pastor who was a church planter, whose church was only uh, three or four years old at the time, I believe. And this, this professor of mine became kind of a friend and a mentor in this area. And as I got to know him, uh, not only did his church, not only did he plant his church, but his very young church had already planted two or three other churches at an at a, at a, at a age of only one or two years old as a church. They had put together money and leadership and sent out people to start new churches. And so really his church plant was also an internship opportunity. And so again, all these things were just lining up. I felt, my wife and I felt compelled to consider church planting. The, in fact, really the plan was almost in place in our head. And the way it was going to go, well, the way it was going to go <laughs> was I was going to graduate from seminary. I was going to join my friend Tim at his church plant, almost like a church planting intern for a year. And then his church was going to plant us uh, somewhere where God was calling there to be a new church. So for all those reasons, we felt compelled. We sensed that Jesus was urging us to consider church planting. All right, got your finger there in Mark? Back to the, back to the scripture, verse 47. We, uh, remember when we left off, the disciples are rowing toward the other side of the sea. Jesus has stayed behind up on the mountainside, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully. They were making headway painfully. Why? For the wind was against them. They had encountered a headwind. And Matthew, when he tells this story, adds the detail that they were beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. Jesus is up on the mountainside and he's looking out on the lake and he's observing his followers, his friends, who he told to get in the boat and go to the other side. They've gotten so far on their own And now they're stuck, beaten by the waves, facing a headwind. Um, Do you ever have a bad association with something? Like you see something or you go somewhere and you've got a bad association about that place or thing because of a previous experience? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a bad association with something? That's how my wife and I feel about Connecticut. If you're from Connecticut, sorry, it has nothing personal. In fact, it really doesn't have anything to do with Connecticut. But it's our experience in Connecticut. Um, We, following this, being compelled by Jesus, following these passions of our heart to see Jesus proclaimed, a new church is planted, following the recommendation of Tim, this pastor church planter, who thought that's what I should do. You with me? We flew out to Connecticut for what's called a church planter assessment, where uh, our group of churches, um, an association of churches, puts on these two- or three-day things where they're assessing, evaluating potential leaders to whether they're suited for planting a church. And they, you know, interview, and they ask you questions, and you you preach for them, and they find out more about you, and and it's quite an experience. 
And then usually you get to the end, <laughs> usually, you get to the end of the church planter assessment and you get one of three answers. And it's basically like red light, yellow light, green light. Fairly self-explanatory, right? Red light is no church planting for you. Yellow light is maybe, but let's do a couple things first. Green light is go and plant a church. The Olsons flew out to Connecticut, compelled by Jesus to consider church planting. And in, for, the first, uh, for the first time in this, these church assessment, um, these assessment things had been held 17 times. And they had never given the answer that I got. And in that case, I didn't want to be that special. <laughs> I didn't get yellow light, red light, green light. I got some weird cross that they had never given anybody before. It was, yeah, you could be a church planner. Not now. But they didn't give me the yellow. Well, I, what? But they didn't give me a red. But they didn't give me a green either. And, and this was a headwind that stopped us dead in our tracks. I think, I, I know Amy and I were thinking, what is that all about? As we flew home, in the days after, in the weeks as we tried to figure this out, talking it through with people, talking it even through with the planter, the pastor that sent me out there, talking it through with people that knew us, what was that all about? Why all those open doors? Why follow Jesus to Connecticut for that? What was the point? Now, I think um, Amy and I had been walking with Jesus long enough to know, that, to know deep down that God was still with us. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that it was very, very hard to see what God was doing. It was very difficult to understand. I can't, I, I, it's as frustrating and discouraging a time I can think of in my whole life. And frightening, too. We had obeyed Jesus' call in ministry. We had obeyed Jesus' call to go to seminary and receive more training. We were looking for what was going to happen after seminary. I only had a part-time job. That wasn't going to go very well for a family of four. It was time to find a role. We thought that's where it was headed. Screeching halt, headwind, feeling beaten by the waves. Faith Evangelical Free Church family, um, if you submit your life to Jesus Christ, if you commit in obedience to all that Jesus has for you, you'll expose yourself to a whole variety of sorrows. You're like, yeah, I came to church for that good news. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that entrusting your life to Jesus would just make everything rosy and go smoothly. Uh, but Jesus himself says in this world, you will have trouble. Our world is broken. Our world is suffering from the effects of sin and the fall. Uh, things are not as God intended them to be. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. As a follower of Jesus, you will have Jesus with you in it, but you will expose yourself to a variety of difficulties. Um, So I want to know about you. Before we go much further, when have you had a headwind experience like that? And I'm not talking about in your car or on your bicycle or out on the lake. I really want you to think for a minute, or I'm going to pause even. When have you felt that headwind that stopped you in your tracks? You thought you were on the right track, but you experienced discouragement, frustration, confusion, perhaps even fear. Are you thinking of it? Maybe the situation in your life made you ask the question, what is the point of this experience? What, what, what could God possibly want me to get out of this? What a disaster. Why do I need to go through this? Maybe the situation that's come into your mind you felt like, um, or even expressed, that God felt distant or absent from your life. God, why did you carry me out here to drop me on my head? As, we, as we're reading this scripture passage this morning, don't forget, Jesus made his disciples go out there. He sent them into it. The scripture said he made the disciples get in the boat and head for the other side. Amy and I felt called. We felt compelled. We felt urged to follow, to consider church planting. Um, so, you know, what, what do you do in hindsight? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, I guess I could disobey Jesus and not go to Connecticut. I'd probably have much kinder feelings about Connecticut now. We, we could disobey Jesus. And you know what? Maybe if we disobey Jesus, we might manage to circumvent some of life's headwinds. Maybe I, don't, maybe I disobey and don't go to Connecticut. I never experienced all that heartbreak. So in a sense, if I would have disobeyed Jesus, maybe I could have skirted some of life's headwinds. But perhaps those headwinds are there for a reason. Perhaps God's working in the headwinds. Perhaps we need to learn the futility of our own strength. Perhaps I need the reminder of how I cannot accomplish on my own. Perhaps those confusing and frustrating circumstances or experience, perhaps those kinds of experiences, those headwind experiences that I just got you thinking about, perhaps those help us to learn and to trust and to know the fact that we don't think the way God thinks, that his ways are higher than our ways. Perhaps that's the reminder we need when we encounter some of life's headwinds. Verse 48. Back to your Bibles there. Mark 6, verse 48. 
And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And so about the fourth watch of the night, this is a period of time that refers to 3 to 6 a.m., so who knows how long, who knows when exactly they took off. They were going along okay for some period of time. At some period of time, Jesus looked down from the mountain and saw them struggling at the oars. And now it's three, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. We have here in verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Walking on the water. I mean, I could do the same little thing I did last Sunday about the loaves and the fishes, right? We can try to explain this away. There's got to be some rational explanation for how all these people ate from five loaves and two fish. I mean, Jesus is probably just water skiing, right? There's a sandbar. That's what it is. There's a sandbar, and his friends thought he was walking on the water. It must have been that. No, it was a miracle of God. It is Jesus, the God-man, God himself, come to be with us in the form of a man. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of those very waters, showing I can do whatever I want within my creation. Jesus demonstrating his supernatural God-man power. He came to them walking on the water. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Look at what it says in verse 48. He meant to pass them by. (laughs) Uh, I've been teaching the Bible for a long time, and I've probably, honestly, I've probably had some fun with this in the past that that really the Bible doesn't warrant here. Because it would be fun to tell you that what he meant to, when, he, when it says, that when the Bible says it meant he meant to pass them by, it would be fun to stand up here and tell you it was like this. It was like Jesus walking on the water. Hey guys, we'll see you on the other side. Woo! Because it sounds funny to us when it says he meant to pass them by. Hold on, what? They're in a mess. They're beaten by the waves. They're facing a headwind. Jesus walks on the water to them and he meant to pass them by but I don't think that's what's going on here. I think this is more like a couple of times we've seen in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's the big part in the front of your Bible that talks about the history of God's people. And there was a time in the Old Testament when a a leader of God's people named Moses asked God to show him his glory. And so what God did in response to Moses saying, show me your glory, God passed by him proclaiming his identity. God passed by Moses, proclaiming who he was. And there was another time when the Lord tells Elijah to stand on the mountain, for the Lord is about to pass you by. I think those incidents in the Old Testament show us that that here in our passage right now in Mark, that Jesus is passing them by in order to reveal his transcendent majesty as God-man. I think he is about to pass them by because he wants to show them that he has power over his creation, that he is the rescuer they need, that the headwinds and the beating waves are nothing opposed to him. 
I think Jesus is passing them by to assure them of who he is and to reassure them that he is with them. Verse 49, but, but that's not how they see it. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for, for they all saw him and were terrified. Jesus may pass our lives Jesus may come through our lives. Jesus may pass by us in our lives in ways that we miss him. Um, Jesus might come through our lives at points that even frighten us. So interesting to me right here, so interesting to me right here, for Jesus' friends in our, in our passage, the very waves that are causing them distress are the, is the very path by which God comes to them. The very thing that is frightening them, that is causing them frustration and confusion, is, is the means by which God comes to them. We can look back now Remember those situations I asked you to think about? The headwind situations in your life? Things that caused frustration and confusion and disappointment and anger and fear? We can look back and know that those very circumstances that caused frustration and fear might have been the time that God was showing himself to us. Because as we were reminded this morning earlier, no matter what's going on, God sees you he knows you. He comes to you. While I was wrestling and frustrated and ticked off about the circumstances of being rejected and not knowing what my future held and not understanding this confusing, no-color light answer that I got, while I was spending all that energy in the wrong direction, it's a little easier for me to see now, although I still don't totally get it, it's a little easier for me to see now that God was at work in my life, molding, shaping, causing me to trust in him more, helping me gain experience and relate to people, helping redirect us. Let's pick it up again at verse 50. Verse 50, his friends all saw him walking on the water and they were terrified but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. Maybe take heart is not an expression we use real commonly now, but you know, take heart. It means you know, cheer up. Have confidence. Have courage. You can, you can take heart. You can have courage. You can be confident because, what does he say next? Because it is I. It reminds me of, of God in the Old Testament saying to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent me to you. Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. So what about you? 
Think about that experience again, that headwind experience from your past. Is it possible that God met you there and you just didn't get it? Think about your headwind experience when you were discouraged and frustrated and fearful. Is it possible that in the midst of that, you were just unable to see him? Just didn't recognize him at the time? but he was there. Continuing, verse 51, and Jesus got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Why are they so astounded? Because they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is an Look at that incredible contrast there. And this is really an ongoing theme that we've seen before in Mark, and we're going to see some more of in Mark, and we'll probably talk about it more as we go on, studying through this book of the Bible. But look at the contrast here. The supernatural power of the God-man on display, doing amazing things, doing miracles, teaching that, could, that, that was incredible, contrasted with the incomprehension of his friends. Huh? Who are you? What'd you just do? This is something we see throughout the power of Jesus and incomprehension of his disciples. The, the word, the scripture just said that they had not understood about the loaves and the fishes. The multiplication of five loaves and two fish in defeating thousands of people with leftovers should have, should have demonstrated to them something good about Jesus, right? When they saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it should have opened their hearts to the reality that Jesus is God with us. But then we get here a few verses later and it says, they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were still hardened and closed off to Jesus' true nature as the God-man. And verse 53 then tells us, you'll see there in verse 53, it says, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Jesus sent them across the lake and he delivered them across the lake. Jesus is the Savior that brings calm to the winds. And Jesus is the Savior that delivers us to the shore. That takes us through the headwinds. Um, I always like to point out, you know, notice that he doesn't just sort of rescue them out of it. They don't just, he comes to them in the midst of the troubles. He doesn't make it all easy and easy to pass through. He comes to them in the midst of it and then enables them to finish the journey. They get across the lake because Jesus is with them. And I don't want to make too much of this, um, but I, I find it interesting anyway. I don't want to make too much of this because it could be more simple than this. But you notice at the beginning of the passage that they are sent across to Bethsaida. They have a certain destination in mind. And then when they land, they're at Gennesaret. And perhaps that's just the wind blowing and them being off course and landing at a place uh, that, different than what was first set out for. But 
even if that's the case, I would say that it's okay for me to say, and from my experience and from your experience, that, you know, the place we eventually end up might not be the place that we had set out for. Even in this case, the place that Jesus had called you to set out for, he might have you end up in a different place. But no matter, I need to remind myself and I need to remind you that God's purposes prevail. That he is at work for our good and for his glory. And so for us, what that looked like is that we were headed down this path. God called us to, con- to consider this, this particular idea of church planting and uh, headwind stopped in our tracks, really discouraged, really frustrated. But for us, what it looks like to see God's purposes prevail as we obey him is not ending up in church planting, but instead ending up as an associate pastor in San Diego in a church family that I love, serving under a leader who I love, and having a great experience for seven years as an associate pastor in the San Diego area, all the while God continuing to work and God continuing to prepare me and the heart that he gave me several years ago to lead a church, to be a lead pastor, to step out in faith, and to be scared, but to say, I can do this with your help. He had led me to consider that years ago in church planting, and that's not what he had in mind, but he used those years to prepare me to step into the role of lead pastor. Though I'm scared, I can do it with his help. For me, what it looks like that God's purposes prevailed is not ending up being a lead planter of a, of a new church, but being a lead pastor of an established church. And here we are, and we're loving it. And we know we're right where God wants us to be. So, Remember earlier I said, well, <clears throat> one option might be to disobey Jesus. <laughs> I said, we, you know, we could, we could disobey Jesus and, and perhaps we could, we could buy ourselves a little bit of comfort because perhaps if we don't go where he's calling us, perhaps we could kind of skirt, get around some of life's headwinds. But you know what? Even if that's the case, if we disobey Jesus, we would also never know the joy of serving Jesus carried along by the winds of the Holy Spirit. We, we, might miss, we might miss some of life's headwinds and hard times, but disobeying Jesus is it's not the right idea because we want to know what it's like to follow and serve and be carried along by the winds of the Spirit. So, Man, this morning, friends, I want us to ask God to soften our hearts, to increase our awareness of how he's working in our lives because I don't want to see the loaves and not get it. I don't want to see Jesus walking on the water to me in the midst of my pain and need and not get it. You know, 
So I want to ask, I want to ask God, I want you to ask God to soften our hearts, to increase our awareness of what he's doing and how he wants to work and how he's there with you in the midst of that headwind and those beating waves. Because I want us to be alert. I want us to be alert in the times of our discouragement and frustration and confusion, those times that you were thinking of earlier that are just beating you down and going, what is this all about? Why, Lord, did I have to go through this? Wouldn't it be great as if God changed our hearts and minds so that when we encounter those headwinds and those difficulties and those beating waves, wouldn't it be cool if instead of, of missing it, wouldn't it be cool if we said, thank you, Lord, for being with me. What if we were alert enough to ask him to use our circumstances to show his love to us right in the midst of it for us to know that his power is what carries us through the headwinds, through the beating waves. Father God, we need your help to make that true. We need you so much. We, we try to do things on our own power. We, we come up with our own plans and our own directions. God, we have all kinds of things in our minds, but Lord, you know best. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. So God, would you conform us more and more to be like your son? God, would you soften our hearts? Would you increase our awareness? Would you help us to see what you're up to in our lives? Would you help us even in the midst of pain and suffering and hardship and troubled waters and headwinds, God, would you give us an awareness of your majesty and your presence with us? God, would, I pray that my friends and I here in this room would not be surprised by headwinds. God, help us to remember that, that you said the world will include trouble. Help us to not be surprised by headwinds. Help us to allow you to use them in our lives. And God, when the, when the headwinds of life, when the waves of life come at us, God, help us to trust ourselves to you because you are with us. And so, Father, as we now continue to worship by lifting up our voices, as we come to the Lord's uh, table to share in the supper, God, would you remind us of who you are, the God-man who is with us. Remind us what you have done so that we can respond to you in these next few minutes in, in song and in sharing in the supper and in prayers and in caring for one another. God, help us to live and worship out of thankfulness for all you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.